to Hey folks, this is Jeff Fry. Welcome to the Shigon Podcast. We're doing uh, two guys in one day. We've already uh, completed Jeff Cirillo a few minutes ago. Today we have a special guest, Mr. Mike Cameron. Cammy played 16 years in the major leagues for the White Sox, Reds, Mariners, Mets, Padres, Brewers, Red Sox, and Marlins. Damn, that's a lot of teams, man. And then uh, 1,955 games played, 1,700 hits. 278 homers, 297 stolen bases, three gold gloves, and uh, he was regarded as one of the best all-round center fielders in the game during his career. In 2002, he became the 13th player in Major League history to hit four home runs in one game. I think I hit four home runs in one month one time. That's good. <laughs> Uh, he's one of 22 players in the history of the game with two, more than 250 home runs and 250 stolen bases. So incredible career and great guy. I had the privilege to play golf with him way back in the day with Ryan Franklin uh, in Arizona and really got to know him and uh, have always thought very highly of Mike Cameron, and I'd like to welcome him to the show. What's up, Mike? What's going on, Jeff? How you doing, Fry Daddy? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, attacking those hitting gurus all over social media every day. <laughs> yes, I see. I see. <laughs> yeah, they, they need it, Cammy, because you see some of this garbage these guys are teaching. There ain't no way anybody ever taught us to hit that way. No, some of the stuff that's going on now is definitely, uh, I don't know what way it's trending, but, you know, I, I like. I think I made it perfectly clear. Would love to see some of these guys get out there when I go to um, the fantasy camp and see them put some of this stuff to action instead of a cage all the time. <laughs> and off a tee. I mean, I've never yeah. seen one of these guys hit a moving yeah. ball. <laughs> a literally a moving ball. I want to see it. Yeah, I know, man. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. With a full size bat, because most of the time I see him. Hitting off a tee with a half bat. Yes, all the time. Majority of the time, it's always something, some type of slide pad gimmick or whatever it may be. You know, hey, I, you know, like I guess some of these things. You know, obviously me being involved in the game uh, now, you know, with a with a kind of a player development role um, with the Mariners, um, I get a chance to see some of this stuff, and you know, they use some of these little tidbits or whatever but most of the time man guys are not using this stuff um in the in, in cages and in practice in the games they do certain d drills or whatever but stuff that i'm seeing today is just really uniquely crazy um and you know big leaguers really don't have enough time to do some of this stuff that a lot of these guys are training guys to think that that's going to get them an opportunity to play big league baseball. Uh, that's what's kind of like, or, you know, just an opportunity to play, you know, uh, college or upper level baseball. You The game is is uh, not designed to allow certain things to happen. And, you know, when you wonder why you fall short, and it's because you, 
doing so many crazy things because you start getting the big league baseball, the movement, the last two feet of the movement will change the direction on a lot of different things. Everyone wants to be, as we always see on here now, we we promote three three guys that they say everybody hit tanks, home runs, or whatever it may be. Um, it is Mike Trout and Aaron Judge. Um, Bryce Harper. And Bryce Harper. Yep. There's so many guys that are able to do it many different ways. So, you know, I think, oh, did I mute? <laughs> you were supposed to be muting yourself, man. We didn't hear you for about 30 seconds. Am I back on? Now you're back, Mike. No oh, more my mute. goodness. I'm just sitting up here just running my mouth, and I look in the corner of there. I'm like, I'm on mute. <laughs> Jesus. But I don't know where I left out, Jeff, but I was, I was just saying, like, you know, Frank Thomas was one of the most elite power hitters in – you know, a lot of these guys, the way they're teaching guys to dump the barrel and try to swing up through the zone, um, you can't do it. You can't do it. Um, I haven't seen it work yet. Um, the top of the strike zone is being exploited more than anywhere else. Um, but a certain number of guys are still, you know, understanding how to get to that pitch because of the way they train to do it. It means short and quick to the baseball and, uh, you know, working out, working out front a little bit, you know, is how you get to certain pitches or whatever. You can't do anything, dumping anything behind you, but hit the ball straight up in the air. And I made a living catching balls that go, how many, however feet you want to put it up in the air. Cause it ain't got no, it don't have any, any distance, no travel behind it. So yeah. uh, It's crazy to me because I mean, I still watch a lot of, a lot of Major League Baseball. I love the game. Um, and I've never seen so many non-productive outs in my life. Just lazy fly balls, pop-ups on the infield. When I know at least for me, Cammy, I was not supposed to hit the ball in the air very often. Okay, Maybe if I needed to hit, get a guy in from third with the infield in, it would benefit me to hit a fly ball to the outfield to get a sack fly. But for the most part, I was trying to hit line drives and ground balls and keep the ball out of the air with the runner on third and the infield back. I'm not hitting the ball in the air. I'm hitting a ground ball up the middle and getting that run home. If it gets through, that's a bonus. But I see watching the games now, it's just like lazy fly ball, can of corn, pop up. And I think it's all because everybody's trying to lift the ball and swing under it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think guys are going to do that. Um, you know, that's, that's just kind of like been the nature of the transcending of the game. Over here these last, especially, you know, I've been out of the game 11 years now. So, you know, just some of the stuff I started seeing towards the end when the analytics started to come in, um, it was changing then. But, you know, I think, um, you know, I think like some guys, like, you know, when you get to this level, you're able to make adjustments accordingly. And some guys are able to do it very well. And um, um, it's the guys who maintain that line drive stroke. The, uh, that that still carries, the, you know, still carries in the game. Next year will be totally different because you got to go back to playing regular defense now. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and you're gonna have to play some baseball. You're gonna find out, you know, baseball players uh, with some of the information they got. You know, you're gonna find out can guys really play. Um, I just think that uh, in certain certain situations, uh, you got to try to do different things, and um, everyone's making it where they say the velocity has made it where you can only try to do one thing. And let's try to get the ball in there and try to hit hit tanks or whatever, bombs or whatever it is. But, you know, there's many different ways of doing it. And they say you can't string together hits alone. But, you know, if you get, you know, a few guys, I, I, and I credit Manny Machado for staying true to his game and what he does. He just, he plays out in a tough place. I played out there in Petco. And um, he just still lines the ball all over the field. And if you get it, you know, if you get it in his nitro zone, he's going to get you up in the air, but it ain't going to be a thousand feet up in the air, you know, as such as a person in the matter of um, Aaron Judge. I mean, you never see them put Mike's uh, Giancarlo standing on there because he, you know, like everyone's swing is different. They're powerful in many different ways, and you don't have to manipulate the body to uh, make that happen. Uh, those guys that we named earlier and and Trout and um, St- um, um, Judge and Harper, yeah, Bryce Harper and uh, big big boy uh, over in New oh. York, man. You know they did they're unique for a reason the way they do it. Baseball players are unique because of the way they're able to do it. Uh, it's an art to be able to hit this round ball with a round bat consistently. And um and trying to find a way to do it. I know it took me a long time to just trying to figure out what I could possibly do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you never get you never you never stop learning on different things, but there's some things that are fundamental. Um and and you've got to be able to do these things to maintain a balance and playing the game. Uh I've stre- I've stressed this enough to my son. I say you may not be a 30 home run bat or whatever it may be. You know how hard it is to hit 30 homers in the big leagues, you know, on a consistent basis. And then you got to understand where you're playing it. And then you have to understand what type of a skill set you have. And you use that to the best of your ability while in try, trying to improve those skills as best as possible. If you're not going to be <coughs> able to hit 30 balls, 30, 35 balls at a ballpark all the time, then you better be able to do something special with the bat because they don't just keep people up there just for the heck of it. And, uh, you know, which that could be <laughs> – uh, kind of an irony, the irony of a statement right now, but you know you got to be able to do something special to be able to stay in the big leagues, uh, big league level to play the game right now. Right, and, and the three guys you mentioned, Trout, Harper, and Judge, um, you know, are the guys that these guys are unique, man. These guys yeah. are are special players, and they can do things that most people on the planet cannot do. So. My problem with the, a lot of the teaching that's going on, a lot of this social media stuff, is that we're trying to teach young kids who are just learning the game to lift the ball in the air and try and swing like these guys. And it's going to create uh, a lot of failure the yeah. low, at younger ages. And these kids aren't going to have fun. It's no fun to play baseball if you're not having any success. And so, I mean, everybody I've had on here uh, – Cirillo, Reggie, Gary Gaetti, Will Clark, um, everybody, and Larry Bowett. Everybody talks about what they were taught when they came up, man. Line drive stroke, you know, working down through the ball, finish high. That's what we all learned. Yeah. And now all of a sudden that doesn't work anymore. 
that, that's a bunch of garbage because I see the the guys who are still having success are still doing that. Uh, most definitely. I mean, you, like, I just think the narrative of the message is being changed. Um, but as you see year in and year out, um, the teams that have the really good hitters, you know, you're going to have some swing and miss guys in your lineup, you know, but you just take a team like the uh, Houston Astros, um, you know, they hit bombs, they do everything, they get on base, they walk, they don't strike out much. Uh, and they're missing a guy in um, Michael Bradley. Yeah. And they're still being very, very efficient. And they give themselves a great opportunity to win. That's why they've won 100 games, you know, three three out of the last five years or something like that, maybe four, uh, because they have these efficient guys that are able to put the bat on the ball. And that's missing a lot of times. And and, and it's one thing, you know, to, to swing and miss. But, you know, especially when you got people on base, when you start moving people around um, to give yourself a chance to get an easy run off of, a you know, probably elite pitcher. Uh, and the one thing that, that hasn't changed to this day, you got to get on base. You got to get, you know, get move 90 feet across and you got to be able to score runs to win ball games. And that's, that is formula number one, as much as pitching and defense is, uh, you got to, in order to win ball games, you got to find some guys that are able to do, uh, certain things in your lineup to make your team, uh, to give your team a better chance to win. And, and then sometimes you get the anomaly, the anomaly of, um, you know, just teams that really slug, you know, hitting the ball out of the ballpark a lot. But as we saw, you know, when the Yankees come into come into play, um, it, it goes south when you start facing that elite pitching. You know, it can win you one game here or there where it may be, you know, as we saw Cleveland scrap it out to the end with um, the Yankees or whatever. But at the same time, man, the reason why Cleveland was in that position, it was because they are tough. They're tough to defend. Um, they're hard to beat because they continue to put the pressure on the defense. No matter, no matter if you shift it, whatever you want to, sh- whichever way you want to shift it. But when you start putting that bat on the baseball, man, it makes the defense run around. And guys are still human. No matter how much analytical data you give them, you know sometimes the ball is going to be hit in certain places, and you know you gotta you gotta make a play. And when you're able to have those type of guys on your team, it makes it a lot easier for the offense not to get stagnant and also to be able to move guys around, um, you know, on the diamond to score runs and to win ball games. Yeah. And that's the way that when we came up, that's the way the game was played. You, you, when you come up to the plate, you got to know the situation, you got to know the score. Um, you know, if it's a, if it's a, a tight game and we get the tying run on second with no outs, you know, your job is to at least move him to third. Sure. You want yes. to drive him in, but you want to move him over for Frank Thomas or whoever's yes. behind you. So he can get that easy RBI, that ground ball. And, you know, Frank Thomas, you know, one of the best hitters I ever played against in my career. And I knew Frank, he didn't strike out a lot. No. Frank would hit, damn sure hit a ground ball at second base with a runner on third when he's down the count to at least get that run home. And he knew how to drive in runs. And now I'm hearing that RBI – it's just a circumstance of where you hit in the lineup. And I <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, the whole configuration of the lineup has changed also now, you know, number two guy used to be a guy who could, you know, 
could, you know, see some pitches, uh, foul off some pitches, put the bat on the baseball, uh, have a real competitive, tough at bat. And uh, now it's more they put the number two hitter as the best hitter on the team to give them more opportunities to come up throughout the game. Uh, but at the same time, when you have uh, a consistent lineup like that, you can you can have certain guys um, and still go back with some of the natural uh, t- natural lineup changes uh, that's taking place now. It's just so many different aspects to how they configure lineups now, which is crazy because you know most teams don't have but four, probably four, pot maybe five legitimate guys that can go out you know every single day and do it. Uh, so you know when I play, you may have uh, six, seven. Sometimes eight deep in a lineup. Uh, you know, I think about some of those old Yankee teams. I think about some of the the um, the old Cleveland teams that I used to play against. The old Texas teams. Uh, I mean, so you just ha- there's there's many different aspects to how uh, you can try to configure your team and to be able to win ball games consistently. And uh, you know, most of the time, when you do have the that consistency. Um, day in and day out, it gives you so much better of opportunity to win ball games. I know the pitching guys are throwing a little bit harder now, and uh, they sh- you know they shift the defense where you hit the ball the hardest most of the time. But you know you still, as a professional, from the teachings and the learnings that you learn uh, when you were younger, still should be able to do certain things on a diamond to help your team um, throughout the course of a year to to win ball games. And you know when you are able to to do that with people on base and make sure you're that much more dangerous over the course of a season. Right. And, and I mean, you mentioned the configuration of the lineups. And you know, we have a guy who led all of baseball by 20, I think, home runs. Yeah. Aaron Judge hitting leadoff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I know we want to get him to bat 10 times a game, but yeah. he's still going to maybe get – 25 to 50 more at bats the whole season hitting leadoff. Yeah. But how many of those homers are solo homers? Yeah. And your best yeah. hitter's got to hit third. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I mean, look, Dusty still does it from time to time. Um, well, he does it because, you know, he has a, that, that type of lineup that he's able to stick his guy still in the middle. Because if you start getting those guys on base in front of him, there's nowhere to put them at. And then if you back him up with somebody else and you start loading the bases up enough, somebody's going to pop one on you, uh, especially, you know, in the case of, you know, Houston's lineup, their configuration, um, you know, like I give you the prime example, you know, in, in Seattle, we were had Verland on the ropes in that, in that second round. And, and then, you know, they came back, you know, Bergman hit a, you know, got a pitch over the middle of the plate. He hit a slider out the ballpark, and and that kind of got him back in the game. And then they got a couple other base hits, and they got it. You know, we got down to the last part of the lineup, and we had to face to get one of the hottest guys in the game, um, and um, Jordan. And you, I mean, who are you gonna turn to? You was either gonna face, you know, walk the bases loaded and and face uh, Bregman. Or you're going to go, you know, if you get any farther than that, still with a two-run lead, you know, in the bottom of the ninth inning, you got you got Kyle Tucker behind him. So it was just a tough situation, man. And you try to put a lefty against him and hopefully that, you know, he can swing and miss it, you know, swing and miss at a pitch. And 
I mean, to his to his taking, you know, because of his consistency with his barrel, you know, like he's able to go to left center, he's able to go to left field, and 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 Houston is prime for, you know, that type of left handed hitter can flip one out of out of the in the Crawford boxes or pull one in, in general, you know, into the right field stands, and that's that's what happened to us, man. You know, like when you have that type of lineup. Uh, when you put guys in there that that are consistently getting on base, it, it just it puts a lot of pressure on the pitcher to uh, try to get outs. And you ain't really getting strikeouts because these guys put together consistent, professional, tough at bats every single time you go up there. Eventually, they're going to get you. They're going to put together an inning against you majority of the time. Yeah, and Jordan, I mean, that dude's that dude's a beast. And and you know, I, I hear, I see the. Uh... The, uh, the hitting gurus on social media like to claim that uh, Jordan's doing the HLP like Eric. <laughs> but if you don't, don't if you don't I, see Cammy, we can't help you. And I'm like, I, yeah, I'm I don't even know what else. I don't even know the difference. What is HLP? I mean, what what High is level that? pattern? Uh, I, <laughs> I don't get it. Like I I just don't get I don't get all of it. I don't understand it. Um, uh, you know, your swing is your swing. You can improve your swing. You can, you can hone your swing. You can get better at it. Um, you can increase, you know, strength and you can do these different things. But if you, I think like every guy, you know, um, at one point in time had to have a high level swing pattern to, to make it to this elite level and be able to stay there. So that just, I just, you know, like I just think that there's so many, if we all looked, if we all were six, seven, uh, 280 pounds and they can run, you know, four or five, 40. And, you know, like, I like Aaron judge. Then I, I would say we all do what Aaron judge do, but we, we can't, and you can't do that because your body types and your body structure mechanic biomechanically won't allow you to do those type of things. No matter how high level swing pattern, you try to get every single pitch up in the air like that. Yeah. I wonder what Lou Pinella would have said to Joey Cora. If he come in there trying to hit fly balls. Joe Cora wouldn't have played as long as he did play because uh, that that doesn't fit the mold that he does. Yeah. You know, like you know, there. I always so I used I tell my son this all the time. I said, "There's probably t- you may have in a, in a given good year. You know, I'm kind of dating back. I guess you may have three or four guys that can hit fifty. You may have about nine or ten guys that can hit forty. You may have about thirty guys that can hit." you know, uh, 30 to 35 homers. And then you got a bunch of people that can hit 20 to 25 homers. And then you have your teens and, and your 10 to 15 guys. I mean, everyone and, – and, and it's normally like those small numbers. You're not going to get there. So you better find out another way to be able to be efficient with your game, and that's driving the ball, hitting doubles, and that still is like slugging also. You always, as you get older, learn how to get the, you know, take chances and get the ball up in the air, uh, to hit the ball at the ballpark, you know, as I did as I got older and, in my career and everything. When I, when to learn how to take chances and when to stay with my strength, you know, one of my strengths that I kind of got away from was I was able to hit the ball out of the ballpark to right field, and that's one of the most comforting things that you can do, you know, because if you consistently take that approach, that's going to allow you to have much better success. It's going to allow you to see the ball longer. Uh, it's going to allow you to be able to be more efficient uh, with pitches in the strike zone and recognizing balls that are out of the strike zone. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I was fortunate enough when I played for the Red Sox in the late 90s to, to play with Mo Vaughn. 
And yeah. I mean, Mo, Mo is a beast. And, and every once in a while, Mo would get in a little funk and he'd come back in the dugout and, and he'd, he'd talk to me. And he'd say, man, what am I doing, Frito? I was like, Mo, you looks like you're pulling off, man. And he goes, look at that green monster, dude. You can flick <laughs> balls off that green monster. <laughs> Stay back and drive it that way. And they may throw you off speed. You can turn on it. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, this guy was so strong. He didn't have to hit a ball good to hit one off that green monster. And next thing you know, he's back locked in because he's thinking the other way, keep staying close and not pulling off. And, you know, he won an MVP when I was, was playing with him. And, and, you know, see a guy can hit like 340 with 45 homers and 140 RBIs. Literally. Not, you know, and he did strike out a lot. Yeah, yeah, he but he walked so much. He walked a lot. And he was a guy that, you know, he got pitched tougher than I did or other yeah. guys on the team. They're, I mean, this dude's getting everybody's best stuff, his ace. Yep. And he still was able to succeed. And there's no way on earth anybody would ever teach their kid to try and hit like Mo Vaughn. He had his no. unique style. And it worked for him. But now we're trying to teach everybody to hit the same. And it's, yeah. it's doing a horrible disservice to kids. And unfortunately, a lot of their parents don't understand it. And that's a big part of what I'm trying to do on social media is – educate these people to just let your kids learn the basic fundamentals if they want it and they got the ability and they're willing to work at it they might have a chance yeah you know as you say that you know you say starting to learn how to hit you know what what the problem is you know you're starting this stuff teaching these kids at six seven eight years old um and knowing that the pitching is not the same so you're not going to be able to carry the same swing and and some of the things I'm being able to see, the sliders, you know, you don't really see sliders when you're, you know, under the age of 10 years old. So, you know, I think even some guys now, you know, 11, 12 are starting to throw sliders. And and that's one reason why the Tommy John rate is going up. But at the same time, these swings change because of the biomechanics of the body. You know, your balance and everything else has to be contributed to all these different aspects. When we're talking about growing as a young hitter and understanding you know, your strengths and weaknesses at an early age. And, you know, the best way still to be able to do it is to be able to understand, to use a um, big part of the baseball field as much as you possibly can, to be a nuisance uh, in the batter's box, to be a tough out. You know, as Chipper Jones used to say, just try to be a tough out every single time you go up there. And, and uh, you know, and guys – are just deviating from all that, trying to make sure they get the ball over the fence. I mean, you said it, you said something very, you know, uh, true at the beginning when you start talking about Movan. You said the guy was hitting 340. Like, that is like one of the toughest guys you're going to face. Whether he can hit homers out the ballpark or not, he's going to do damage to you. But if a guy hitting, you know, 330, 340 and driving in 150 some runs and still popping you 40 times, I mean, he's, he's going to be tough to pitch to regardless. So he's going to get certain things to be able to do. Yep, yep, and Mo was uh, man one of my favorite teammates. Um, he was he was a leader, and he went out there every day and gave it what he had. And I know you play with some some oh, great yeah. players over the years, and um, I mean, who do, who would you? I know I don't want you to I don't want to put the, the heat on you right here, but who would you say was the best player you ever played with? Well. You know, I played with so many. Uh, obviously, the best all-around player 
I played with was Alex Rodriguez. I know you're not really very fond of him, but his talent on the baseball field was oh, it's beyond. I, I got to give him that, even though I'm not a fan. I, I mean, yeah. that dude was incredible. Yeah, you know, I just played with so many guys at so many different levels. I mean, you know, like when I was at the White Sox, you had Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, Albert Bell, um, you know, even Harold Baines, just like real professional hitters. So I learned so much uh, at an early age, you know, because used to when I came to the league, it was shut up and 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 watch mm-hmm. and and learn in that matter. Uh, and then I went over to Cincinnati, uh, you know, had Harold Morris and Tony, uh, Sean Casey and uh, Barry Larkin. You know, we just we I just been around a lot of great hitters moving from there, going to Seattle, playing with Edgar Martinez, uh, John Olaru, Ichiro. Um, you oh. know, even Boney became a much better professional hitter. And, you know, David Bell, you know, like when I'm naming these guys, I'm just not naming them like high quality, big, big stat guys. But. You know, Stan Javier, Ricky Henderson, playing with guys that understand how to play the game itself. And, you know, leaving from there, going to New York, playing with Piazza, David David Wright, you know, and just learning, uh, still learning. And, and um, you know, and then I started getting, you know, started playing with some younger guys and, you know, going to San Diego, playing with Piazza again. And um, Adrian Gonzalez, um uh, you know, even Brian Giles, uh, you know, just able to do so many efficient things uh, on the baseball field. Then leaving there, going playing with Prince Fielder, I played with a real, really good, good group of guys in Milwaukee with Prince Fielder, J.J. Hardy, uh, Ricky Weeks, uh, Ryan Braun. Um, you know, I played with the old grouchy guy in behind the plate, Jason Kendall, professional <laughs> hitter. You know, he didn't have much power left in his body by the time he got to, when he got to Milwaukee, but he was good. And and then ended up in Boston, man, and playing with Big Poppy and Adrian, uh, Adrian, uh, Adrian Beltre, um, uh, Marco Scudero, uh, Kevin Euclid, uh, J.D. Drew, um, Victor Martinez. So there was just a numerous of guys that I got a chance to be around and see even on in you know playing against the opponents you're playing against those Yankees teams that were so good man for so long it really ruined my chances of being able to play in any world series because they were so good we could never beat them but you know it just you learn different aspects when you play with guys that know how to put professional at bats together consistently on a daily basis and you start to see what they do on a on a on a um on a on a on a daily basis and it is just the 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 continuity that they have when they show up every single day and knowing that they have pressure on them because they're stars mm-hmm. and uh they just understand how to play the game in itself. Yeah and man I can understand how you can't name one of those guys as the best. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I mean, players you play with like literally, you know, like you know, just playing with them because uh, th- I mean it's I mean the stuff that we I saw Frank Thomas do is just crazy. I mean, this guy was hitting 350. He's winning batting titles and couldn't run. Edgar Martinez the same way. John Olerud couldn't run, but in consideration for batting titles because they walked so much and they never chased. Yep. I, I just couldn't. I, it was amazing. Then to see a guy like Ichiro who could hit everything. I mean, this guy could hit any and everything you possibly threw up there. So it's it's just amazing to be able to see stuff like that. I remember, I remember Ichiro came into the league in 2001. And I was with the Blue Jays, and you know we'd never seen Ichiro. We just heard a little bit about Ichiro, and 
Yeah. And he comes into the town, the mayor's come to town, and there's like 50 report, 100 reporters. It's like, what do you think of Ichiro? It's like, nah, we don't know this dude. He, he, he ain't that good. And four days later, <laughs> after four, four games of Ichiro doing everything I've ever seen done on a baseball field, it was like, I'll never forget Jose Cruz Jr. He goes, Ishiro, oh my God, this dude, this dude's a freak. This dude, he's like, he hits a ball in the gap and he's slowing down at third. Uh, you know, he's hosing dudes out at third from right field. He, he hits a two hopper to second and beats it out. It's like, I ain't never seen nobody do what this guy can do. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, he was special, man. Uh, his work ethic was probably more special than anything else I ever seen. The consistency that he, that he, had over the course of time, man, was just amazing in itself. Um, you know, he was my locker mate. Uh, that was like my, you know, my my Japanese brother, man, because, you know, I used to bounce stuff off of him all the time. And he just, he was just so consistent on a daily basis. And he applied so much pressure because he, he was really the first one to have, you know, the whole country on his back, you oh, know, yeah. doing that. He was the greatest one to probably one of the best players arguably in Japan to come out of there behind Sada RO. And, and um, you know, he carried a lot of weight, man, on a day-to-day basis. And he made us so much better. I mean, we jumped from 90, 91 wins to 116 after losing A-Rod at short because of Ichiro coming in and play and just guys, you know, just being able to kind of slide in after him, man, and, and just kind of took off. It was amazing. One of the best things I had to happen to me was playing with him in the outfield. I only had to cover like a third of the outfield then because <laughs> because of having Etro out there was like me and him covered everything out there, man. It was amazing. Mike, what was his approach hitting wise? He was he was a very different hitter than than a lot of guys. What made him so special? What tidbits did he maybe share with you? Um, well, Ichiro had a unique style anyway. I mean, he's the only guy that could be moving and still put the bat on the baseball consistently. Um, he was more, he could hit homers if he wanted to, he could, he had a mode of a little bit of the Tony Gwynn and Wade Boggs mode, and he probably could be able to, you know, hit more homers, but he wanted to, he wanted to hit singles. He was saying, I want to lead the league in singles and his unique batting style was all about keeping his hands back and just I can't say anything about his balance because sometimes he'd be falling all off the first base and uh, and shoot one down the third baseline. I mean, the guy was special, man. Like, you know, even Lou Pinella really didn't say much to him because he was so good other than the fact that when you're going to hit, you know, Lou liked the long ball now. And when you're going to hit one over the fence, son, quit fouling his balls off over in the third base dugout. That was in spring training by the time the season started. Like he would be flipping balls out of in batting practice. I mean, we hit bombs. He could hit any home run dirt because of the consistency that he used to have, man. But he was more uh, driven on getting the single more than anything, just hitting line drives all over the baseball field, which was uh, kind of unique. He had this unique workout program every single day. Even on the off days, he would go to the ballpark to continue working out. He got my he made my arm better, which I had a good arm, but he made it more accurate. Uh, with playing catch with him every day, and um, and man, it's his his discipline uh, to the game was uh, like one of 
one of many. I mean, obviously a great player, all great players have these country uh, contributions to whatever they're able to do, but the discipline that he had for as long as he played and he still to this day works out the same way, just that he can't do it as much as he used to. Yeah, he was, I can tell you uh, as an infielder, I had to take at least two steps in towards home plate when he was hitting. Oh, most definitely. That gave him more room. Yep. All by you. And and I don't think many people realize because we don't really see many. We don't see anybody like Ichiro, obviously, but we don't see many guys in the game that fast leadoff hitter that you had to shorten up the Juan Pierre's, um, the uh, Ray Durham's, the Kenny Lofton's guys that you had, you knew you had less time on double plays. You had to cheat. It just puts so much more pressure on the defense, and that causes mistakes, that causes uh, errors. And they one extra out here and there, next thing you know, somebody gets a base hit, and you should have been out of the inning, and that's two runs on the board. Then you win in ball games because of that. And I think that's something that I miss seeing in the game because, I mean, the most exciting team I can remember ever seeing was the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Where, with Vince Coleman and Willie McGee yeah. and Tommy Hur and, and Terry Pendleton. And those guys put so much pressure on the defense. I mean, you were that type of player too, Mike, where you could steal 20, 30 bases a year. I don't know what the, what's the most stolen base you had in one year, year in the big leagues. Uh, 39. Um, you know, I got there a few times, uh, you know, um, I probably could have, ran more if I wanted to, but you know, me playing center field, I didn't, I didn't play center field and, and, and going to the post 150, 145, 155 games a year. Uh, it, it takes a toll on you, man. But you know, that's why I can't believe what Tim Raines and, and some of these guys, uh, Tim Raines and, and, uh, Ricky Henderson, they used to do run 175, 100, you know, 150 times over the course of a season. I, I, there's no way possible I could possibly do that. It's tough on man. your body, man. That, man. And Ricky always did the head first slide to you. know how that hurt. Yeah. You know, diving back into first base, your shoulders, banging your shoulders, you know, getting somebody like Rafael Palmero slapping you in the ribs. <laughs> I mean, so it's just, just kind of crazy, man. You know, it, it, it really is the, the way that you are able to, you know, people ask me like, how in the heck you play 17 years in the big leagues? I, I don't know. I just, I was my body just got used to training to do that from February to October or whatever it was, and then some. My first five years, I played winter ball, so you know I played year all year round, and so that was another way, you know, contribute to a lot of the the turmoil and the and the um, and the banging that that took place against the body or whatever. But you know, uh, as you you know, we spoke about Ichiro. Ichiro, he love he don't really like the way the game is being played today because he's such a, a purist, traditional guy. And uh, he just thinks that, you know, it should be, you know, there should be the stolen, you know, the stolen bases, the hit and run, all that, all those traits that you learn uh, when you're a younger player in the minor leagues and everything else. He hates it. It's going away from the game. He says, just, it's no, it's really no fun. There's no excitement to the game anymore. Well, it's for sure not as entertaining because I know that, I mean, I've been watching baseball since I was a little kid living with my grandma. And uh, we used to sit and watch the Giants and the Dodgers games. And it was just seemed, it just seemed like there was so much action. And I was just glued to the TV. And now I watch a game and 
and I find myself just kind of dozing off or or not paying attention because I just don't see the the constant action, the excitement in the game. Yeah. I don't know. If I, we're talking about stolen bases, so my question to you, Cammy, is: What do you think of this new rule they're getting ready to put in about <laughs> about the pitcher can only throw over to first base twice? <laughs> if he throws over a third time and doesn't pick you off, it's a balk. And is mm-hmm. that going to lead to uh, an astronomical amount of stolen base attempts next year? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I saw the, the bigger bases down in AAA this year, uh, and some of those same rules are subjected to what's coming to the big leagues now. Um, I just think that they're not really getting to the basis of what the real problem is. Uh, the movement of the game. Um, baseball game is going to be three hours regardless of however you do it. Um, you know, in minor leagues, it kind of sped up a little bit, you know, for a little, a little, probably about an extra 10 minutes or so. Because of pitch uh, clock? But, yeah, they got the pitch clock going on. That's going to be incorporated next year. So I just don't think, you know, like that, that, that right there just kind of like dampers, you know, what the cat and mouse, uh, the, the strategy of the game by limiting a pitcher to be able to do certain things and, uh, you know, and, and bigger bases is not going to increase anything because these guys have been programmed already now as to, well, if you steal, you got to be able to make sure you steal is you got to steal the base at 80% rate or this, that, and the other. When we all know that uh, baseball is a game of failure anyway. And, Anytime you take a chance and you put pressure on a different on a defense, you know they don't want to give up any of their twenty seven outs. So they rather stand around and try to see if a guy can hit a home run off a guy that's throwing a hundred mile an hour um, consistently, and that becomes a stagnant game because a lot of these guys they don't pitch anymore. They just throw as hard as they can for five, four or five innings, and then they bring the next guy in that throws a hundred mile an hour uh, to do the same thing. So yes, the game is going to look and designed to be figuratively a lot slower. So I just think that we just need to understand the game of baseball is an artwork. It's a craft and, and it's every day spent out there crafting it and doing the best you possibly can to allow your talents to help your team try to win a ball game and with which any fashion that your talent is able to display uh, to, to, to put pressure on the other team I should. I think it should be allowed. So yeah, it's going to definitely change it a lot. But I don't know if many guys are going to steal anyway. You know, so it's still kind of crazy. I didn't really see sense. the. Um, I pay attention too much to if there were more stolen bases in the minor leagues when they did that. Um, and I don't really know how the. You may have seen it because um, I know you're working with the Mariners. But does a pitch clock come into play um, from the stolen base aspect? So if you're looking. I'm assuming everybody can see the pitch clock. Um, so if you're at first base and you know this dude's already thrown over twice and that pitch clock is winding down three, two, are you not able to get a bigger jump? Uh, most definitely. You you should be able to because you can't come over no more unless he's throw you out. And then if you're any kind of base dealer, you're going to already kind of got that gauge already. So, you know, that's sped up already. And then you add in the, the, the infamous – uh, pitch stealing, much more comfortable one down on one knee. I, I, I would love to play that nowadays. I would really love because I would be a menace on the base pass because I'm I'm looking at a guy that's down on one knee. I'm looking at the hitters at the box, and I know he's going to get a lot of breaking balls. I'm stealing. 
And then you got guys that are shifted. So it's going to be really difficult for you to get over there um, moving at the same time I'm moving while you're trying to catch a throw from from the, uh, from the catcher to try to put a tag on me. Uh, I, I would I would love I would love to play in this game today. Uh, and, and you see, I know we were taught as base runners to look for the angle of the pitch. So you're at first base, and if you see that pitch, it's going to hit in the dirt. You just take off. Most you definitely. To see if he blocks it, because even if he does block it, he's still got to find the ball and, and be able to get a good grip on the ball and make a strong throw to second and the best base runners that I played with were the guys who could read it out of the pitcher's hand. When it was bouncing, they were taking off right away. They didn't care. Most definitely. Most definitely. I don't know if we see that much anymore. Nah, you don't. You don't. You don't see it. You don't see it very much. It's a, it's a, it's a definitely a unique game, as I always say. <laughs> it's a really unique game. Well, I wanted to uh, – we won't keep you much longer, Mike. I, I appreciate uh, you taking the time today, but – I was checking you out a little bit on Google and Wikipedia, and I saw um, a little story about you when you were a little, a young kid, and um, it reminded me of uh, my childhood. So I moved in with my grandparents when I was 12 years old. I was, uh, you know, lived with my mom and my stepdad, who was uh, my stepdad was not a good guy. He was a abusive alcoholic. And I saw a lot of things as a young kid that I shouldn't have saw, shouldn't have seen. And mm-hmm. uh, so it eventually got so bad that I moved in with my grandparents and lived with them till I eventually moved to Oklahoma with my aunt and uncle. And it was a great, uh, the best thing that ever happened in my life. And, you know, my grandmother was like my, my you know, my hero and, and she did everything for me. And I saw that you actually were, um, adopted by your grandmother at a young age. And I just wanted to see if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess when I was five, my grandfather passed away and, you know, I was being pretty much raised in the house with my grandmother anyway. And, you know, and then she adopted me and it probably was the best shaping thing. You know, she was a textile meal worker, uh, worked for over uh, so many years and, um, man, she shaped me in many different facets. She was the one that introduced me to the game. And, uh, if it wasn't for her, you know, obviously she passed away here in, uh, last, last February, right before her 97th birthday. And, uh, she shaped me in so many different facets. I don't think she really did understand how she was shaping me. Uh, to become a you know a young man and uh, uh, just learning so much from her, uh, being the matriarch of my family, being able to lose her was a, a very big deficit in my life. Uh, but if it wasn't for her, man, uh, I don't know if I would have played baseball. She was the one that took me out there and introduced me, you know, to organized baseball. Uh, obviously, playing it a little bit when I was you know with my uncles and everything else in the backyard or whatever it may be, but. You know, her taking me to organize baseball when I was six years old, man, uh, shaped my life forever. It, it became the thing that I fell in love with. Um, I became very good at it at a very young age and continued to hone that craft. And I made a lot of my moves in baseball 
because of her. So, cause she loved to watch it. She was a big Braves fan, TBS. And we also, I remember back in the day when they used to have the game of the week on ABC on Monday nights and we would sit around and watch it, man. So she was a big sports fan and I knew baseball kind of gave her a joy. And uh, I w- I'm so glad that I was able to contribute to her seeing uh, that. And, and, you know, I always remember that. And man, it's just that uh, she did so much for me that I'm so grateful, so thankful that she introduced me to the game, but also just uh, the things that the, the basic life essentials of growing up being around her. Yeah. I can imagine she was uh, pretty, pretty proud the day you got called up to the big leagues. I'm (laughs) I'm guessing she was your first phone call. Yeah. You know, um, she still, you know, wouldn't come to many. I had to force her to come out to Seattle, you know, when I made my first all the time there, man. Yeah. (laughs) I had to force her to come out to Seattle, man. And, uh, to, to introduce her to, to that. And, uh, you know, I tried to make sure, you know, obviously playing out in Seattle on the West Coast, the games were really late, so she wouldn't really stay up and watch a whole lot of them. But, you know, when I left Seattle, I was able to go to New York. I knew in choosing to go to New York at the time, if I couldn't stay in Seattle, she was going to get a chance to see me every night. And then I was going to get a chance to play in Atlanta three times a year uh, for her to come up and be able to see it. So uh, I'm forever grateful, you know, in that aspect of that, being able to have that privilege of doing it. But she also, you know, one strange thing when I was playing in Milwaukee and we were playing in Atlanta and I got kicked out of the game and I cussed the umpire out. She was talking, called me up and say, why are you cussing that man out like that? He just trying to do his job. I said, well, grandma, I'm trying to do the same thing. So, you know, I got more to lose than he does. So uh, that was the only time she really ever got on me about, you know, playing the game. And, uh, you know, those those are the things that I forever remember when we when we played in Tampa. Uh, we, I used to rent like, uh, two charter buses and they did it in Baltimore too. And, uh, have my whole family come down and, you know, along with my grandmother, my uncle who stayed there with me, um, who taught me a lot about how to, you know, basically made me able to learn how to cook, clean and everything else. I will never forget when I was growing up, I could hear his only voice I could hear was in the ballpark. Uh, when I was playing literally, I would hear him. And that same thing happened when I would go play in Baltimore and Tampa. I could, I could it, no matter how much noise was going on, I could always hear this guy in the background screaming and yelling. But you know, I know it brought a joy to be able to be able to to, to take part of that and uh, to be introduced that to my family. Yeah, and that's that's one of the one of the things I was most proud of, most proud of was that uh, you know when I made the big leagues, I knew that. My uncle, who taught me how to play, his friend, who played a big part, my cousin, who I played with out in the street growing up, and my friends I played Little League with in high school, and all those people were proud, and they were happy that their friend or their nephew or their cousin you know, is playing on TV in the major leagues, and like, what a treat that must have been for them. But I was happy that I could provide that happiness for them. And I can tell Almost. you feel the same about your family. You got a big family, man. You got two buses. I don't. I think I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more extended in that part of it too. So you know how that goes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, not, one of my cousins, uh, my closest cousins to this day, we have no relation whatsoever. Um, my uncle's 
my uncle's cousin is his dad on my my uh not on my mom's side but you know what he's my cousin yeah yeah family very family true. <laughs> very true brother very true well i tell you what cammy i appreciate you taking the time man i'm glad we finally hooked up we need to stay in touch definitely you keep doing definitely that hard work uh, I watch your son i wish him nothing but the best that's what last thing i wanted to ask you what's it like watching your son play on TV in the major leagues. You got to Man, it's a joy, man. It's it, you know, I become a mental skills coach and everything else, you know, <laughs> along with just the game itself. Uh to have, you know, a kid in the big leagues, man, is a joy because we know how hard it is to get there and stay there. Um and you don't want to wish that on no one's worst, you know, nobody's worst because it's it's so tough and it may not be the same. And I told him I said I don't understand the pressure that you're under, but I understand what you're going through you know, as a player. And so I try to, you know, be a, a dad and a coach all at the same time and, and try to help him, but also allow him to learn uh, what he is as a baseball player. And I told him from very early, very early on when he first got drafted, I said, this is a journey, man, that is going to sometime bring you to your knees. It's going to bring you the joy that you never felt before. But understand man it's a journey man so just try to take in as much as you can learn as much as you can and always always know that when you step out on the field somebody is there to watch you play don't let them down yeah just don't let them down you can you can fail but don't let them down in a matter where it causes you to be cause to have you have an embarrassment on the baseball field where they question um how you play the game Your and so it don't take uh, it don't take talent to give effort right Exactly, exactly. And that's that's my biggest thing. But I'm I'm so happy for him. It's a um, you know, one of the very few father and son combinations to be able to do it. Uh he's already had a few moments in the big leagues where, you know, we've kind of created a, some history moments and everything. So uh for him to be able to experience that is uh nothing but a joy itself, Joe. Well, that's awesome, man. And I'm happy for you guys getting to experience that. And uh, once again, um thank you so much for taking the time. David, thank you for everything, and um, hang on for a little bit at the end, Cammy. And this okay. is Jeff Fry um, with my special guest, Mike Cameron. Um, Cammy was a uh, five-tool player. I had, <laughs> I think, two and a half tools. He was Sometimes. Five-tool <laughs> five player in the big leagues for 17 <laughs> years, and uh, he did a hell of a job, and he is one hell of a nice guy, too. So thanks again, Mike. Uh, no problem, Jeff. Always. I'm glad to be on. All right. On, um, this nice podcast of yours and continue the madness against the madness. <laughs> you know, I will, man. You know, I will. I'm just getting started, Cammy. All right, baby. This is, uh, this is Jeff Fry signing off the she gone, she gone podcast. And my special guest, Mike Cam. She gone. Hey.